podcast, paraphrasing a conversation from the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. If I asked you where we were, would I regret it? We're safe. Oh, good. We're in a lion's den. Ah, this is obviously some strange use of the word safe that I wasn't previously aware of. Lead teacher Randy Pope finishes the series The Stand with this message entitled The Safest Place to Be in Babylon, which covers Daniel chapter 6, verses 1 through 28. Thank you for joining us today. I want to take a minute. I've asked Laura to hang around a minute. Come here because I want to ask her a few questions in front of you guys to hear about her new book, When God Doesn't Fix It. And uh, I have read this book. I had the privilege of endorsing it, so I got the... Uh, galley and read it and it is an incredible book when God doesn't fix it I love the uh, subtitle lessons you never wanted to learn truths you can't live without a pastor that's the best I've ever known Randy Pope <laughs> oh you left off that little piece didn't you I, okay I, that was that was on the galley I guess I didn't uh, see you took that, that off was to get your endorsement that was <laughs> <laughs> all right here's what I want to do I want to ask you a few questions about the book uh, first of all uh, what inspired you to write the book? That's a great question because I have wondered, why did I write this book? I, whenever I see someone reading it, it's only been out, uh, I guess just, it's just people at Perimeter that have had it, I guess for a week now, and every time I see someone read it, I like want to hide behind a tree because I feel like they've taken my diary and, and duplicated it, and everyone's walking around reading my diary now. Uh, it, I, it's been an interesting process for me, uh, but I've always believed that our stories... They're a gift to be stewarded, you know, and, and anything in the book, I, I told them from the very beginning with, as I met with the publishers, I said, I don't want it to be, it's not supposed to be like an inspiring story. It's, it's more supposed to be uh, how we've seen God's faithfulness in my, my, in my husband's life as we've walked through uh, everything with his illness and brain injury. And, and it's really, um, and that's our greatest prayer for it as well, that people would, would see God's faithfulness, not so much us. I was going to ask, you know, what do you want people to take away? But I guess that's it. Huh? They would. Yeah. Let me ask you this. The, the format of the book is really clever. I love the way they do this. They have, uh, uh, it's a comparison between myths that we believe and truths that we must hang on to. As you think back over the myths and the truths, what stands out in your mind is that which is uh, maybe, the, maybe the largest in your thinking right now? Hmm. Well, I think that we all walk around with myths that we believe, whether it's, uh, you know, believing that if we follow Jesus, everything in our life is going to work out. You know, and and we don't we're not necessarily promised that we'll even understand why our stories end up end up like they do this side of heaven. But the Lord does promises promise us that everything that happens to us in this life can be used by Him for His greater good, for His greater purposes. So, I'd say uh, one I'd say one myth is is that my story has to be complete or has to look the way that I want it to, or to have the happy ending that I want in order for God to use it. And that's something that God has really blown me away by the way he's, he's worked through our stories and, and allowed, me, allowed me to really have a platform for ministry based on the things we've walked through. I'll, I'll tell a quick story. I, I got to meet a lady. Uh, I was doing a, an interview at a radio station, and the, the DJ or whoever invited this woman, a listener who had her husband had undergone a brain injury, very similar to my husband's. He was in a motorcycle accident, and, and we talked on air just about the things that we were learning and how God had really helped us through it. And 
as she was leaving, the, the radio personality hugged the lady and she said, you know, I'm praying for you and I just know that things are going to get better. And then, <laughs> then I came up to her and, and said, I'm going to be praying for you and I'm not going to say to you that I, I know things are going to get better. I said, but I believe that you can get better even in the midst of your circumstances not changing. And I don't say this. I know you were joking about the, the endorsement. These are truths. Randy Pope could have written this better than me. These are <laughs> anything in this book. Uh, they're the truths that we get to hear um, week in and week out at this church about God's sovereignty and about him bringing good out of, out of the things in life that are hard. But the thing that I've been blown away with as I've traveled around to other churches, um, not everyone knows that. So it really has been such a privilege to put this book in the hands of people that truly don't understand those truths. And, and we've already seen the Lord do some pretty amazing things. Well, uh, yeah, I could teach the truths of the book, but you have a unique story that wraps around it that is so beautiful. And uh, I have to, I'm, I'm saying this, I, I endorse a number of books and this is as good as you'll read. This is something you do want to get. So, uh, and I'm not saying that for sales purposes, it'll sell plenty, but uh, I just think I hope you get to read this and see the story that's written. Let me pray for Laura and for this book, all right? Father, we thank you for Laura. I thank you for the story that you have given to her and the one that she's been willing enough, willing to uh, share with the rest of us. And we pray, bless it. Uh, we pray that uh, there would be thousands upon thousands of people who find hope through the truth that they find in this book which comes from your word. So thank you for it. Bless it, we pray. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're at the end of our series, The Stand. It's a series out of the first six chapters of Daniel. Now think of it this way. If you were to guess the percentage of people, there's no study of this done that I know of, but if you were just personally to guess what percentage of people are living in intense pain, heartache, anxiety, fear, just you understand what I'm talking. How many people are living in that kind of circumstance right now? Maybe you pick a percentage. I don't know what it would be. Here'd be my guess. Could be way high, way low. I don't know. I bet 75%. I bet 75% of people are saying, my heart is aching so bad right now, I can hardly stand it. 75%. Now, let's discount that percentage. Based on the number of those challenges that people are facing in life that would be eliminated were these people to have made better decisions. Meaning, they really have invited the type of pain and suffering because of the things they have done or believed or whatever it may be. I got to discount it. I don't know. Take off 25% of that. Maybe you get down to 50%. Maybe it's 30, 40, I don't know. But whatever that percentage is, those are the situations of life that you and I will experience or are experiences that we cannot get away from. We didn't invite them into our lives. We could not have stopped them from coming into our lives. There are circumstances. Now, here's the point of today's teaching. Those very circumstances that are bringing the pain and heartache and issues and so forth, those circumstances, living in those circumstances is the safest place 
you could possibly be given certain conditions. And that's what we're going to look at today. It's the story of Daniel. Daniel who is thrown into the lion's den. And I'm going to suggest to you in that lion's den in Babylon with the intention of taking his life is the safest place that Daniel could ever be. We need to explore. And let's see how that could be. Let's pray to that end. Our Father in heaven, as we bring this series to an end this week, I ask that you would speak to our hearts, give us an understanding of the deep truth bound in this text, that we might know the truth, and the truth would set us free. But God, not just that we might have freedom, but that we might bring you great honor and great glory because of the way we use that freedom. Bless this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there with me to Daniel chapter 6. Our text is a great one. We'll tell the story by simply walking you through some of the verses of chapter 6, kind of filling in the blanks where we don't read. It's a long, very long text. But we need to begin with verse 1. It reads like this. It seemed good to Darius, who is the king, to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom that they would be in charge of the whole kingdom. I'll hold on down verse 3. Well, let me read verse 3. Then this Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and satraps because he possessed an extraordinary spirit. And the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. We know when this book started that Daniel was a, a young teenager. Now he is probably, it's assumed, maybe around 80 years of age. Uh, he is, in the second verse, told to have been put as one of the three commissioners over the 120 satraps, which would give leadership to all the Medes and the Persians. So Daniel is at the peak of the empire. I mean, he's been put at the top. Obviously, Darius knows of his past, knows of who he is in his character, and therefore has let him stay in this new kingdom that's overtaken Babylon. So he's still in leadership. We come to verses 4 through 9, and the, uh, there's a conspiracy against Daniel. And uh, basically, the other 122 of the satraps and the commissioners, uh, they were jealous, apparently. They didn't like the life that Daniel was living as a man of God. And they conspired against him, and they came up with a plan, saying, we're not going to be able to take him down, except, as it says in verse 4, inasmuch as he was faithful and no negligence or corruption was found in him. So they say, we're not going to catch him in any other way except using his own law. So what they do is they come up with a plan. Look at verse 5. Then these men said, we will not find any ground of accusation against this Daniel unless we find it against him regard, uh, with regard to the law of his God. And so what they did 
is they went to the king and said, King, there are people who are not worshiping you, and he doesn't put two and two together. And he says, you know, you need to come up with an edict, and you put that edict out, and, and anyone who will not, who prays to any other god, then they should be put to death by being thrown into the lion's den. Maybe that caught him at a moment of drunkenness. Who knows? Uh, maybe he's not thinking because later he's going to say, whoa, 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 I don't want Daniel to have to go in the lion's den. He loved Daniel. But he signs it, and with it is a decree that it cannot be changed. And so we come to verses 10 and 11, and, and uh, Daniel defies the law. It looks like this in verse 10. Now, when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house. Now, in his roof chamber, he had windows open toward Jerusalem. And he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God, as he had been doing previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and supplication before his God. So he wouldn't compromise. Young people, as, as you know, if you've been a part of this series, that I have, I have looked at this text through the eyes of you, the young people. How do we apply this in your experience of life? Remember this little thought, pictured beautifully here by Daniel. Sometimes, in order to make your stand, you have to kneel. I'm not saying a physical kneeling. But I'm saying there's got to be a kneeling of the heart. That's what causes the stand to be real. It starts in the heart. Verses 12 through 18, Darius is greatly distressed. He doesn't like what's happened. So verse 14 says this. Then as soon as the king heard this statement, he was deeply distressed, set his mind on delivering Daniel. And even until sunset, he kept exerting himself to rescue him, meaning trying to come up with some kind of plan. But nothing seems to work. So verse 16 Then the king gave orders, and Daniel was brought in and cast into the lion's den. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Your God, whom you constantly serve, will himself deliver you. Isn't that interesting? Maybe he's had an impact on Darius. This would not have been Darius's God, the God Jehovah. Uh, Who knows what exactly has happened? But he has had an impact, no question. Verses 19 through 23, we see the outcome, and uh, he's thrown into the den, and then we come to verse 20. Verse 20 says, when he had come near the, the den to Daniel, he cried out with a troubled voice. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you constantly serve, been able to deliver you from the lions? Isn't it interesting? The king kind of presumed that Daniel's God would deliver him. Unusual faith of a man who we have no indication would be a true follower of Jehovah. But for whatever reason, he, uh, he seemed to think that would happen. Then we come to verses 21 through 23. Then Daniel spoke to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth, and they have not harmed me, inasmuch as I was found innocent before him. And also toward you, O king, I have committed no crime. Then the king was very pleased and gave orders for Daniel to be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury whatever was found on him because he had trusted in his God. 
Then we come to the very end, verse 24, and following it talks about how the king then said to those that had come up with a plan, now throw them into the lion's den. So they lose their life. And then the end of all is 25 through 28. Let's read 25 through 27. Then Darius the king wrote to all the peoples, nations and men of every language who were living in all the land, may your peace abound. I make a decree that in all the dominion of my kingdom, men are to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and enduring forever. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed and his dominion will be forever. He delivers and rescues and performs signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. Remember those words, performs signs and wonders, who has also delivered Daniel from the power of the lion's And then the last verse 28 pretty much summarizes it all. So this Daniel enjoyed success in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Now, as we come to to, uh, this story that we have here, it's a a great reminder of God's faithfulness. So we know that's a a great picture, no question. Uh, It tells us uh, the the great faith of a man uh, named Daniel, no question there. But there's some truths, I think, that are deeper than that, that we need to to mine here for a few minutes because, young people, what you heard, I don't even know if the story of Laura is on the the message that that all will get in the podcast. But if not, I'll say this. We just had a story from Laura Elvington, Laura Story Elvington. And that story is the story of somebody's life who learned the truth found in Daniel chapter 6. So let's look at three great teachings from our text. They have to do with the will of God. I did a series not too long ago on the will of God. In doing so, I made this point very clear that if you want to be in the will of God... It means that you're on the altar of God. I always love that picture. It's a Romans 12, 1 and 2. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, who's your reasonable service of worship. And so the issue is not what decision do you make? Okay, do I take this job? Do I do I buy this home? Uh, Do I marry this person? Oh, what's the right will? What's the will of God? What's the will of God? Let me tell you. It doesn't matter what decision you make. If you don't counter the word of God, it doesn't matter what decision you make. What what matters is where are you when you make your decision? If you're off the altar, I don't care what decision you make. It's not God honoring. You're not in the will of God. But when you make your best decision and you do it on the altar of God, let me tell you, the safest place you can be is whatever that decision, wherever it takes you. But we should never believe, therefore, that it's going to take us to the conclusion we had hoped for. Young people, if you learn that truth, you're going to be so far ahead of every other young person. They're not going to believe that. You won't believe it except you see it in the truth of God. So here's the first of three teachings. In God's will, I put that in quotes, is often... A very unpopular place to be. An unpopular place to be. 
Babylon's citizens, and we're using Babylon now, though there's a new nation. We're using Babylon as just the reference of the prototype of society that's going to exclude God from it and live life in the beauty and the splendor and the wonder of just enjoyment, pleasure, whatever you want to do. That's Babylon. Versus Zion or Jerusalem, which is following the ways of God. A prototype, just a a picture of that. Babylon citizens will not tolerate the loyalties of Zion's citizens. They just will not do it. I wonder why. Here's the answer. John 15 goes like this, beginning in verse 18. If the world hates you, this is Jesus speaking, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. You see, young people know this. It's really not because of the decision that you make or the belief that you hold or the things that you do that the citizens of Babylon, the peers outside God's people, the peers that you run with, know, hang out with, live in the world with, it's not those things that are going to cause them to be against you. It's going to be why you do what you do. Believe what you believe. That's the reason. You take the, for instance, abstinence. Young people, all you have to do is you declare before your school that, no, you know what, I'm a, I'm a little oddball here. I'm a, I believe in abstinence. And the people look at you in Babylon and they say, and why do you believe in abstinence? If all you say is this, because I think it's the safest practice and I'm willing to keep myself safe. Do you know what will happen? The citizens of Babylon will applaud you and say, wow, I wish I had your discipline. I don't know how you do that. That is amazing. I am so impressed with you. But if your answer is because it's wrong, because the word of God says no, because I believe what God says is true and it's, it's going to be to my benefit and it's going to be to the honor of my God, wait and watch. See what they're going to do to you then. They're going to be all over you. They're going to separate from you. They're going to talk you down. They're going to make fun of you. It's not what you do or what you believe. It's the issue of why. Because now you've said, I'm related to a family and my, and my daddy is Jesus Hey, Jesus? Are you the son of Jesus? You're the daughter of Jesus? Mm-mm. We don't like Jesus. They may say they like him, but in their hearts they don't because they don't know his father. That's what Jesus says. So you got to keep in mind, it's not really what we do and what we believe. It's always the why. They do not like the family we live in. You know, verse 7 of our text, if you have your Bibles, you might glance down at it, but that's where it says that the decree said for 30 days. Imagine how easy it would be 
How easy it would be for a follower such as Daniel to say, well, it's just 30 days. It's not a lifetime ban. What is the big deal? And look at the influence that I'm having. Look what I'm doing. Oh, my goodness. You know, for me to be gone, oh, what a loss. What I'll do is I'll do this. Yeah. I'll pray in my heart. So it's not that I'm not praying. I just won't let people see me praying. But Daniel knew that was, that was walking against his God. And so he stood up by kneeling down. Let me ask you young people. Just to yourself, answer this question. All of us answer the question. What if we would be given $5 million? Somebody said, I'll give you $5 million. If you'll go a month without reading your Bible or having any time of personal prayer where you stop before God and you bow your head and you pray to God. Five million dollars. That's all you got to do is go a month. How many wealthy Christians would we have in this world? Oh my goodness. Many of us say, well, I've been doing that and I don't even get paid. Boy, Daniel said, no, 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 no. I don't care what it is. You take my life, which he knew was what they were going to do. You can do. It doesn't matter. I have no price. Young people, we must deal with our idols, our idols of popularity and pleasure. You know what my idol is? I've said it often. My great idol is reputation. People think highly of me. I do things that are good things for wrong reasons just because I want a good reputation. That's the very thing that will take me down. It's our pleasure. It's the good thing. It's nothing wrong. We want a good reputation. We should want a good reputation. We should enjoy pleasure. There's nothing wrong with pleasure. God gives it to us. Nothing wrong with being popular. Obviously, Daniel was fairly popular among some people. The king, for one. It's amazing. Let me tell you, we better deal with those idols. And remember, how do you deal with those idols? It takes the rock to crash and crush the idols of life. Past weeks, the rock is Christ. He alone can do it. We invite him to do it. Let's look now at number two. Remember, popularity. Not going to find much popularity in the midst of God's will very often. Number two, we can add to that, God's will is often a painful place to be. Uh, Painful not just because we're not popular. A lot of different forms of pain. In God's will is not to have necessarily the desired outcomes of life. That's why the book that we just mentioned, Laura's book, is such a valuable book. It just underscores that point. No, it's not. I'm in the will of God. Look what happened to me as a result. Let me tell you, it is not to mean that you're going to have the perfect health because you're in the will of God. You can have the deepest and worst cancer right in the middle of the the will of God. You can be right in the will of God and have the worst relationships with people. It's possible, even your family. It's possible not to have the family that you want 
being right in the will of God. You can have all kind of emotional challenges while you're right in the middle of the will of God. And there is not a promise that says, but you hang on because it's going away this side of eternity. Oh, it'll go away the other side of eternity for sure. But there is not that guarantee. Listen to Hebrews 11. Young people, this is a good passage for you to think about often. Hebrews 11, starting in verse 32, it reads like this. And what more shall I say? For time will not fail, uh, will fail me if I tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, David and Samuel and the prophets who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. From weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection, and others were tortured. Uh uh. Well, well, all of a sudden we got a little change here, don't we? And others were tortured, not accepting their release, so that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings. Yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins, in goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. Do you get the truth of God? Don't believe the lie of the Christian faith that's being spread out there that's not really of the Christian faith that, hey, hey, get in the will of God and these things go away. No. What happened to these people? Some yes, some no. There is not such a promise. I love that verse 39. They all, the first part of the text and the last part of the text, all gained their approval because of faith. I love the little statement. I've used it over and over. Johnny Erickson, Tata, and, and uh, Steve Estes, they, they write in the wonderful book on suffering that they've written. God allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. Tell me, did, did God love or hate the crucifixion of his son? Ooh. He didn't like it, but he allowed what he hated to accomplish what he loved, the redemption of a people known as the church. Let me tell you, remember this, young people, only an anemic, and that word means you're, you're, you don't have any strength, you're, you, you know, you're, you're, just, you're in a, a, a poor state of health when you're anemic. Only an anemic theology believes that lifestyle always gets better the deeper you walk with God. No. Life gets better, but not lifestyle. What is life prosperity? It's an advance of glory. And by the way, next week, that's what I'm going to introduce some of your friends to, the, the whole idea of glory. Many of you have heard me share it before. The whole idea of glory and the contrast of life that you and I need to understand. Young people, remember this. You've got to keep contrasting these two things. The glory that is to one day be revealed to us versus the present suffering of this world. Romans 
uh, chapter 8, verse 18, says the suffering of this present world is not worthy to be compared to the glory yet to be revealed. In 2 Corinthians 4, great text, in verse 17 it says, For momentarily, this side of heaven, light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory. And then it says, far beyond all comprehension. We can't even comprehend, young people, what this glory really is. And we get glory this side of heaven. We get full glory that side of heaven. And so what we have to do, young people, is we have to start walking through life saying, oh, okay, okay, look at the suffering. And I could maybe lose some of this suffering. Persecution, people against me, people in Babylon saying, I don't like you. Man, I could lose a lot of that. But uh uh-oh, when I do that, I lose the glory. When you see the glory, you go, well, well, you know what? I got to look at the two. And young people today are walking through life. We are too as adults. And it's all about what about the suffering? How do I get the suffering level down? What does it take to get the suffering level down? Push it down, push it down. How can I do that? Instead of thinking, whoa, 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 how do I get the glory level up, 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 up? Because that's what's going to impact me personally. It's going to give me what I truly need. It's going to bring the greatest honor to my king, my God. And so both have to be in focus. Young people, don't just think about how do I get rid of suffering and gain my pleasure. But think about how do I gain my glory, thus finding my fulfillment. Far, far better. Just remember this, in God's will is often a painful place to be. Number three, in God's will is always the safest place to be. Please don't ever forget that. Why is it the safest place? Let me give you three reasons very quickly. Because every creature on earth is subject to the sovereign control of God, even lions, Tell me what or who is not under the sovereign control of God. You think your boss is? Young people, what about your body? The way it looks. You think it's under the control of God? How about your health, even as we get older? You think it's under the control of God or is it out of his control? What about your children? Speaking to our adults now, what happens when our kids... When they go the wrong way, are they, are they out of the control of God? They're not living under the control of God, but they're not out of the control of God. And that's the truth that we always get to rest in. Number two, a second reason, because Babylon's greatest conspiracies cannot thwart or take away or change the sovereign plan of God. Revelation teaches of the three allies to the dragon, the beast, the harlot, and the false prophet. The beast has to do with the world powers, government, commerce, whatever. About the harlot, the world's seductive allurements, riches and wealth and beauty and all the things that are fun. Sexual activity outside the plan of God. Or then thirdly, the the false prophets, the false religions of this world. Nothing. None of those. None of those 
can thwart or change the great plan of God. Never forget it. And then thirdly, because those in God's will will always be protected and ultimately rewarded even as was Daniel. Let me close. All right, so we conclude in this chapter that the will of God can be unpopular. Uh, It can certainly be painful, but it is safe. Young people, man, I just hope, I just hope you can remember these things. I hope you'll go over them and over them. Think about it constantly. Never should we define success, should we define blessing by our circumstances. If you define blessing and success by being in the will of God, now you're finding life. How do you know you're in the will of God? Not what you decide, but where are you when you make your decision? Whether it be something in the will of God, the word of God, or whether it be in the will of God and not in the word of God, you got to be on the altar. It's a surrendered heart. It's a surrendered heart. Now here is the big aha. Do you realize, do you realize that there are things that we are suffering right now that we can actually get out of though we're in the will of God? such as a bad marriage, we can actually get out of suffering. How many people have said, you know what, I get out of this marriage and I know it's the wrong thing to do, but I will be away from suffering. You know what a lot of Christians say to that? Well, let me tell you, you're going to be more miserable here than you ever were there. That is a lie. Some of us here are living the reality. I did the wrong thing. I got out of a marriage because it was so miserable. And now I'm married again and I'm having the best marriage. I'm enjoying marriage. It's so much easier. It's so much whatever. But let me tell you, we left the will of God. Now the good news is, sometimes when we leave the will of God like that, such as a marriage, you can't go back to that marriage now. You're remarried. So what do you do? You get on the altar. And you say, oh, God, forgive me for my past. Forgive me for holding on to the ideal that lack of suffering is better than glory. I've made my mistake. I'm sorry. Thank you for the beauty of this marriage. Thank you for allowing me, by your grace, to still enjoy something that I don't deserve. Thank you. And you're forgiven. But please don't buy the lie that the Christian church often says, "Ah, you can leave that, you're going to be miserable. No, not necessarily. You may leave leave the will of God, young people, in your school and start conforming to the world and you're going to have more fun than you would have over here right now. Oh, yeah, there are probably going to be some deep pains that come from it. Who knows? But the issue is not how much, how little pain, how much, how little pleasure. The issue is God.
to be how much glory, how little glory. That's the comparison of contrast. So how? How do you find the moral ability to stay the course in pain that's often found in the will of God? It's through your union with Christ. It is through appropriating the power of God's spirit on a day-by-day, moment-by-moment basis. Why would we do that? Not so that we'll get the favor of God, but because we do have the favor of God. Before I pray, I'd like to take a moment of what I'm going to call personal privilege. In um, parliamentary procedure, you can simply raise your hand and be called on by the one in charge and yes, and say, I'd like to make a point of personal privilege. I've never done something like this, but I'm going to take a point of personal privilege before I pray. I'm going to speak a word to my grandchildren because I want, I want you that are my grandchildren right now, I want you to know that I've kept the youth in mind through this series, but I've been thinking of you. Every message I think about you. And I don't know what your world's going to be like when you finally watch or listen to these messages. Uh, but I know this, that when you do, the lights of Babylon are probably going to be a lot brighter. The tinsel toys of this world, they're going to be, whew, they're going to be so attractive. And you're going to be torn. What I want you to know is that I, as your pops, CC, and all of your other grandparents, because they all love the Lord, we all agree this is what matters. This is what really matters here. I'm going to urge you, don't believe the lies of this world. I'm going to invite you. I'm going to give a letter that goes with every one of these, with this series to each one of you. I don't know when you'll read it. I don't know if I'll be alive or dead. But when that day comes, I just pray that you'll listen to it. You'll read the note over and over. You will watch this. And you'll remember that living in Babylon is not what it's made up to be. Living in Zion is everything. Everything God says it is. I promise you that one. Let's pray together. Father, as we pray, I want to ask you to hear some of us here, particularly our young people, making this simple request that you would strengthen us and allow us to let the good of glory be far more important to us than the absence of suffering or the pleasure presence of pleasure God make that so much better to just understand your glory to know you for who you are remind us over and over that it's you Jesus you're the hope of glory and may we go to the cross and see your love may we grow may we go to your spirit and find your power may we go to your word and find your truth and may we live a life until we Leave this earth that is standing strong. That's our request. In the name of Christ our Savior, amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. 
Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day. Thank you.